This is the Motion Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like more information about Motion Church, you can always visit our website at motionchurch.com. If you'd like to contribute to what God is doing here at Motion, you can do that at motionchurch.com forward slash give. We hope you enjoyed today's message. All right, what's up, everybody? That's pretty good. Not too bad. Hey, so we're continuing a series. We're actually wrapping up a series today called Dark Reflection. So if you've missed any of it, I will catch you up to speed really quickly. But before we do, I want I want to, I, I shared this. I overshare sometimes and Shelly gets so mad at me. She's like, why did you say that? I'm like, I can't, I word vomited. I couldn't help it, right? Um, so I've noticed, this is just my observation. I'm not a big believer in coincidences. I think, I think things, there's patterns, right? There's things that we can observe. Um, so it seems like we've, we've been doing a series the last, this is our fourth week, um, and what has happened to our attendance for the last four weeks is, is like week by week, week by week, right, right, everybody's coincidentally going on vacation, coincidentally, oh man, I am whew, under the weather, Pastor, can't, can't make it to church, and the, my personal opinion is everybody is offended about this whole technology thing, I am offended about this whole technology thing, each and every week I am sharing with you guys my conviction and my suffering that I experience as a result of having to kind of put together all of these thoughts. Because I don't think it's a struggle that's unique to any one person, right? This is a struggle that most of us face, right? There's this constant tension, there's this balance between, man, we love and we enjoy, we enjoy the benefits and the fruits of technology, but also there is a dangerous aspect to it. We can get sucked in, and, and we've talked about some of this stuff. But what we're doing today is we're going to wrap up with what the title for today's message is, Information Overload. Have you ever had so much information you didn't know what to do? And, and sometimes you get, you like, you just, you, you have a, a, you get to a place where there is so much going on in your brain that you couldn't ever possibly get anything to your feet. And so what we're going to talk about today is information overload. So let's, let's back up just a little bit. And so the Dark Reflection series, again, this is not what we do. It's kind of like the people that say, kids these days. And I'm getting older, so I get to do that. It's like the, the things that I look forward to as like I age, it's so petty. I'm like, get off my lawn, right? And I'm I'm like that. Somebody somebody a few weeks ago like pulled onto my into my driveway and their their tire was like three inches on my grass. I was like, get off my grass, bro. I didn't tell I mean I told them, but that was a little more kind than that. Maybe. I don't know. It's been a long time, right? Another benefit of aging. You forget things. This this is so fun. So at any rate, where where were we going with all of that? Oh, what we do, again, this kind of this this kids these days, what we do is we we look for scapegoats, right? We try to blame anything and everything but the thing that is actually the problem. When it comes to technology, we, we kind of use technology as a scapegoat when in reality our hearts are the culprits. Technology is not the issue. Your heart and my heart is the issue. And technology is kind of a it's a mirror. It reflects back to us. That's the dark reflection. It reflects back to us some of the conditions of our hearts. And so as a result of seeing these reflections, it should give us pause and concern. Like, hey, maybe something is not quite right, right with my heart. Maybe I should address this issue of my heart. So Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, this is kind of the verse that we've looked at each and every week. It says this. It says, technology is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. It's not what it says, right? It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And again, so that's the point, right? The point is not technology is not a bad thing. Technology would be, you know, kind of a, a neutral thing. It's, it's one of the things that doesn't inherently have good or bad. It's a matter of what we do with it. 
the heart is where our concern should lie. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The good news is in verse 10, we, we kind of get some reprieve. We get some help here. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So here's what we learned from this, right? We cannot, we should not trust our hearts because our hearts are deceitful and wicked above everything else. And so what we find in our society is like this society that pushes the notion or idea of trusting your heart. Let me help you out. Don't do it. Please, I beg of you, don't trust your heart. Your heart is tricky. It's maniacal. It is manipulative. It will get you into things. It will get you into the things that you feel like are the right things. But your head, if you actually used a little bit of common sense, you would realize very quickly that it is not a good thing. Have you ever seen somebody doing something? They are in the process of doing something that you know that they shouldn't do, that they know that they shouldn't do, and you're trying to coerce them out of it. It's like, don't do that. It's a bad idea. Kids would be a great example of this, right? Don't do that. I'm telling you, one, why do we count? Just come with the heat. Like, let's stop. One, two, and for those passive parents, two. My, my mom was like, one, two. Good Lord, mama. I love this podium. I can make more noises. It's, it's fantastic. So, so don't trust your heart. So don't trust your heart. And again, Technology helps us to see these areas of our hearts that could, again, be a potential issue. God understands our hearts, and because he understands our hearts, he wants us to understand our hearts. He wants us to understand kind of the destructive behaviors of our hearts and tendencies of our hearts so we can take the necessary steps to mitigate those destructive tendencies, right, to offset them, to, to contain and corral them. So I believe this imagery of technology being a mirror it really, it does give us a good reflection, a good indication of what is actually going on in our hearts. Long setup, right? So the first week we talked about how our hearts prefer entertainment over impact. Come on, y'all. Be honest, right? How many of you have at points in your life or a large portion of your life chosen entertainment over impact? Impact is difficult. Entertainment is easy. Uh, we, and, and again, I think like entertainment is fine in and of itself. It's again, the, the, there's a line that I think is crossed where that is. I'm not exactly sure. It probably varies person by person. Take it up with God. Don't ask me. All right. So that's the first one. The second week we looked at how technology reveals that our hearts crave validation. Now we've, we've always craved validation. Our hearts have always had this, this desire to feel like we're known, that we're loved, that we have worth. Technology has just made that more obvious because now we, we, we look desperate, right? And we are desperately seeking and craving for validation from other people. And then last week we talked about how our, our hearts long for connection. Again, something that's not, not some shocking new revelation. It's obvious we know that our hearts long for connection, but I think technology makes it more clear that our hearts long for connection. And those, those aren't necessarily bad things. It's a matter of what you do with those things that can or cannot be the issue, right? Whatever it is that you choose to do. All right, here's our revelation for the day. Are you ready? Thanks, Shelly. Everybody else ready? <laughs> Technology reveals that our hearts, prefer, our hearts prefer information over transformation. Our hearts reveal, and, and maybe a more complete way to say that would be our, our minds, I'm sorry, our mind, yeah, yeah let, me, let me reset. Maybe a better way to say this would be that our minds prefer information more than our hearts prefer transformation. Maybe that's more specific, but I think you kind of get the idea. 
that our, our hearts are more interested in accumulating and acquiring information than we really are in then going and actually applying the information that we acquire. It's like I had a friend in high school. We graduated at the same time. We both went to college at the same time. I saw him three or four years later. He was, he was still at a, a junior college, which is fine. You'll be figuring things out. And, but the joke was, he told me, I was like, hey, how's college going? And he's like, did you know that they don't have bachelor's degrees at Kilgore College? And so the idea was that he was just continuing to consume information, but it hadn't actually led itself into any application or transformation, right? Technology is a good reflection of this, that we desire information versus application. Let me give you a, a personal example of this. How many of you have seen or thoroughly enjoy or entirely too much enjoy life hack videos? I love, love life hack videos. I'm like, some people are so clever. And I have watched, I, I can't even tell you how many life hack, life hack videos that I've watched. I'm just like, that's genius. And, and here's where I know that we prefer information over application. I have watched so many life hack videos, and yet my life still is not hacked. Right? I, I still got all the same problems I had before I started watching the life hack videos. Now it's just I got more ideas on how to fix the thing when I actually decide to get off my butt and fix the thing. Right, And I think that's where the, the issue is so often is like information is easier and an application is a little bit more challenging. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So we live in what is known, as everybody knows, as the information age. So, so from the middle of the, the last century until now, we've kind of been driven by information. We have had more access to information than at any other time in human history. I love history, and I, like I love kind of the idea of this, these collections. For example, I was I was listening to a podcast yesterday because I I love information, right? I don't I don't generally listen to podcasts and be like, okay, what am I going to get from this that I can then go and do? Sometimes it hits you, but a lot of times I'm just listening to listen, which is further indication that we prefer information over application. But I was listening to a podcast, all of that to say, and they were talking about the, the Library of Alexandria and just kind of this, this conglomeration of, of wisdom and intelligence and, and just all of these great books and insights and ideas from who knows where, from all around the world or the known world at the time, and, and how that was obviously burned and we lost it. However, what's fascinating is that you and I have more information at our fingertips than they had in this incredible library of antiquity, right? And, and what's interesting is like, think about how much technology we have or information we have as a result of the advancement in technology. Did you know that to get information, you used to have to go to a place called the library? So there was this building that you would go to and you had to, you had to actually get a card, like membership, and, and become so that they could find you when you didn't bring that thing back in time. Anybody else's graduation threatened by unreturned library books? All right. So, so we used to have libraries, right, where you had to go, and, and that was where we went and got information. Now it's literally right at our fingertips. There also used to be this thing called, when I was a kid, we, we ended up, somehow or another, we ended up with a set of Encyclopedia Britannica. And it was, man... Like, I was such a loser because I would sit at home. I would do two things. I would read the backs of baseball cards so I could memorize everybody's statistics. And then I would also go and thumb through the Encyclopedia Britannica and just garner all of this useless information that now gives me the ability to, the ability to not remember your name, but I can remember stupid facts about random parts of the world from hundreds of years ago. Welcome, right? So we used to have these, these encyclopedias and whatnot, but we now have information at our fingertips at all times. If you did 
How many of you guys enjoy maps, graphs, and charts, right? Pie graphs. I love pie graphs. They're just, it's such a beautiful, simple, visual representation of the truth. If we did a pie graph of how much time we spent accumulating information versus applying the information that we received into application to transformation, I would suspect it's a little out of whack. My, my guess is for my own life, and, and I would suspect for your life, that it, it's very disproportionate, right? There are some, some imbalances in the information application, information transformation conundrum, this tension, right? And what's so fascinating is, like, this is not a new problem. This ain't, this ain't nothing new to us. Like, you know what we do? I, maybe you guys don't do this, but I do this. I assume that all of our problems are, like, the first time the world has ever experienced these problems. And it's just, you know, it's amazing to me that we have made it as far as we have in terms of humanity, right, and civilization. And a lot of the problems are the same problems that we've always had. It's just maybe it's, it looks different. And I think technology makes these things look different, but it's still the same problem. It's still, we've always had an information transformation conundrum. And technology is not the perpetrator. Our hearts is the perpetrator. James chapter 1, verse 22, it says this. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word not just hearers who deceive themselves. What I believe you find in that passage is this tension, right? It's the same thing. Don't just hear it. Don't just get information. Don't just listen and consume and receive and accumulate. You've actually got to at some point go and apply this information to your life so that you can see transformation. If you're just sitting on this this is one of my greatest fears of church. Like for when we started the church 12 years ago, right? Ish, somewhere around there. I don't know. So, so when we started, like probably the first, I don't know, six months, I would finish every single message with this verse. Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Actually go and do what it is that we've talked about. And so one of my great fears for church is that we, we kind of create these systems where we are consumers and rarely contributors. We are a lot very much focused on, we are very much interested in information, and we are not terribly concerned with transformation. And that freaks me out. That terrifies me. That's, that's, the, that's the church and the kind of people that I think Jesus doesn't, doesn't necessarily, I better stop. I got too many things I could say about that. Well, stop. Sometimes it's, it's, it's worth, when you find yourself digging a hole, just stop digging. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move on. But it does, it, it, it kind of, in many ways, it terrifies me that, that we could be, we, there is a potential for us to be the kind of church that just hears and doesn't do. And, and my prayer for us is that that's not what we do. Probably the easiest way to understand this is, is if all of this only ever results in all of this, we're wasting our time. If, if we have church every Sunday morning and we put all of this emphasis, emphasis and effort on, on worship and teaching and fellowship and community, and then it just stays here and it fizzles out as we leave and we go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we are wasting our time. Like, just shut it down. Just stop. Just stop. But I don't believe that's the case, so we will continue, right? Everybody with us? Good. Anybody offended? Good. Me too. So it seems, it seems to me, let's go back to James chapter 1, verse 22. It seems to me that this is, again, an age-old issue. It's this tension between information and transformation. And so what, what I take from this is I think that there are, with Scripture, I think there is a very specific context, a very specific application, and then I think there is a broader application. For example, I think that is relevant to us. I think it's relevant to us to not just be hearers of God's Word, but to be doers also 
But I think the author, who, who most scholars believe was James, the brother of Jesus, which is pretty cool when you think about it. Like Jesus' brother wrote this letter, and we get to, to share in these, these truths, right? So James, the brother of Jesus, had a very specific audience that he was writing to and a very specific reason, a very specific motive for writing these things. I don't know about you, but I generally don't make the habit of telling people to do things that they're already doing. If you do, stop. It is so annoying. It, it, that is at my, my growing list of pet peeves. Like each year, I was telling somebody earlier, like each year I add to my list of pet peeves. I think it's just what we have to look forward to, right? So it's just like it continues. And, you know, for example, the lawn thing, like that's a real thing. Didn't bother me 10 years ago. Now I'm like, what are you doing on my grass, bro? One of my other pet peeves is, please, please, for the love of everything that's holy, Please do not ask me to do something that I'm already doing. Drives me nuts. Anybody else? We don't do this with our kids. I don't tell my kids to do things that they're already doing. I have to tell them to do the things that they're not doing. I have to tell them to take out the trash, to brush their teeth, to put on deodorant, to fix their hair. I have to tell them that you smell like a water buffalo. Go and do something about that. And that's just Rhett. That's the little one. Just kidding, right? So we tell people to do things that they're not doing. And I think with this, this passage, it's that. It's that they were not being doers. They were just being hearers. And so James, the brother of Jesus, is like, hey, stop just getting information. Look for transformation. And the reason this is so important, I think this is why th this is the relevance to us today. What would your world, what, what would my world look like if, if in each of these information gathering sessions, let's call it that, right? Like church, for example, when you sit down to read God's word for yourself, these information gathering sessions, what, what if you took one small thing from every one of those interactions or exchanges and went and did something with it? What would your world look like? What, what would my world look like if we did that? What we do instead is we just continue to accumulate information and there isn't a tr tremendous amount of emphasis on transformation. It got real quiet up in here. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, it says this. It says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, whatever you have learned, whatever you have received, whatever you've heard from me, whatever you've seen in me, put it into practice. Like, go and do something with what it is that you have learned. And the God of peace will be with you. I, I, think, I think some people are so intelligent that they create this chaos in their minds because of the amount of information that they consume. And it seems to me like there is a little bit of a formula here. Now, I don't want to read too much into that, but it does seem like there's something going on here. There's this connection between I learn, I do, I experience the peace of God. I learn, I do, I experience the peace of God. And so many people's lives are absent of the peace of God. Maybe they're missing a step. Maybe they're desiring the peace of God in their life. They're learning, but there is no doing. Just an opinion, right? So this is, this is where we're headed with this. I think maybe the key to this, kind of, again, there's this tension, there's this conflict between information and transformation. I think the key is to, for lack of a better word, let's hack our hearts, right? Let's look at these life hacks and maybe some ways that we can go from hearing to doing. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at both sides of this. Like maybe why we don't do, and then we'll look at some ways that can help us 
do, do. Long pause between the two. So first thing, let's talk about transformation inhibitors, things that, that prohibit us or inhibit us from actually seeing transformation take place in our lives. I'm definitely, I'm not a sociologist. I'm not an expert on human behavior, but I am a human and I have a lot of behaviors. So I have some experience here, right? From my experience, these are some things that keep our hearts in the, the information zone and, and keep, keep us too fearful of stepping into or adventuring out into the land of action. The first one is it actually takes effort to go and apply the information that we learn. And so because it takes effort and we are increasingly, I think we are, in, this is just, again, a lot of opinions here. We'll get to some truths from God's word. Those are facts. My opinions, I will share those as well, and you do with them what you will, right? But I believe that we are increasingly becoming more intelligent and way more lazy simultaneously. And so we don't like effort. We don't like things that are hard, that, that take sacrifice or discipline. And so we tend to stay away from and run away from transformation because it's harder than information. And so that deters a lot of people. And what, what people do when, when they, they kind of live in this space where uh, it's just too much work, it's too hard. So in order to compensate for the lack of action, they just, they accumulate more information. And so they're, they're compensating for the lack of application with more information that they're then not going to do anything with so that they feel guilty. And then they compensate with more information and there's no application and they feel guilty again. So then they you see this vicious cycle, so we just gain more information. I think another reason, another inhibitor to transformation is what a lot of people know as analysis paralysis. Any, any overthinkers in the room? Any Enneagram sixes? Is that, are those the overthinkers? There's a lot of them. Wow, just crushed my, crushed my dreams. I, thought very, I felt very good about that. I felt very confident that that was the one. So, so a lot of times what we do is we get so much information that we, we create several right paths forward and we don't know which one to take, so we freak out and we stay in the information zone. We, we can get so bloated with information that we create several scenarios that could be good or right, and so because of that, we don't take any because we're afraid, we're, we're paralyzed because of our amount of information. I'm gonna help you out. What's the old, the old saying is, if you find a fork in the road, take the fork, the fork. Don't leave a fork in the road. That's disrespectful. The person coming behind you might get a flat tire, right? And so I think one of the things that we can do is, is like we, we have this belief that the more information we have, the more successful we, we might be. And a lot of times there's a, probably a balance to that. Like too much information without application creates this paralysis. Really quickly, a couple of other ideas as to why it is that we stay in this, this zone would be, one, fear of failure. I, I don't – I haven't met anybody – that wakes up in the morning and is like, man, I hope I fail miserably today. I hope today is the worst possible day of my life, that everything that I try and everything that I put my hands to, I hope that they do not succeed. Nobody, nobody does that. I mean, if you do, you are a psychopath and you need to stop. That is weird, right? But, but we, we have a fear of failure, and that fear of failure, oftentimes, it sidelines us. It keeps us on the sidelines because nobody wants to fail. And so if you never try, then you will never fail, right? And I think that's where a lot of people live. Another thing that keeps people inhibited from, from transformation is they feel this lack of qualification. Have you ever felt unqualified? I feel unqualified right now. Like in this moment, I am terribly under. Compens not compensated, underqualified. 
Probably both, right? So, so we feel underqualified sometimes. We don't feel qualified. We don't feel smart enough. We don't feel good enough. We don't feel capable enough to do the thing that we're, we're hoping to see change in our life. And so my thought on that is like you have zero competence as it relates to anything new that you're trying to do most of the time. A- unless you are a rock star, a superstar, somebody who has just got an inordinate amount of, of natural ability or intelligence, most of us, we don't have any idea how to do the thing that we've never done. Like you just, that's not how this works. There's a quote that I saw from Aristotle that said this, the things we have to learn before we can do them, we learn by doing them. The things we have to learn before we can do them, we learn by doing them. So again, it's not just information, it is then application, it is transformation. So those are just quickly some thoughts on maybe the reason that people don't live in the world of action. So I'm going to wrap up today with, I want to give you guys, this is so cheesy and I will not apologize for it. I stand by my acrostics. I stand by my alliteration. I stand by my other Asian things that we do. I love all of it. I'm here for it, right? So I like things that rhyme. So anyway, our alliteration for the day is our next point that kind of leads into, sorry, an, an acrostic is you can do it. You can do it. What was it? It was, it was Waterboy, right? You can do it. And then the, I thought about going with the Nutty Professor thing where he was like, yes, I can. Yes, I can. I was like, that's too much, right? So you can do it. Let's, let's talk about a way that we can, again, move from information to transformation, move to application. My hope, my hope here is not that we just share more information that we then go do nothing with. My hope is that this is information that we can take, we can apply, and it is a path to progress. So the first point is... What needs to change? See the can? C-A-N? Yes, I can. What needs to change? I think there is, the, the first step in applying information is to identify what specifically needs to change in our lives. So information is broad, right? We see, we receive this information, it's very broad, right? It's not generally very specific to us, but we can take that and narrow it down and identify a, a specific area or thing about our lives that needs to change and then the transformation part of that is the action we put it into action so you you have to identify what it is that needs to change we get the information we see how it could benefit our lives what what doesn't need to be there what does need to be there and the the again put it into action what is the application of that i think it's really important to note here i think there is a, a tremendous amount of value in starting small Now, culturally, we tell everybody, go big or go home. I'm going to tell you to go home because if you probably, if you're trying to take big steps, you're trying to take these massive steps, you might make the first one, but you're probably not going to make the second one, right? Have you seen people that kind of overstep and then they just look awkward and and clumsy? And it's, I don't think that that's how this whole thing is supposed to work, right? So I think in terms of, of seeing change and growth and transformation, in our lives, we have to do these, we start small, we take baby steps. If it's a spiritual goal that you have or this desire for growth, like don't despise these small beginnings. Like the small things have such tremendous effect over the course of time. When I was in college, I went to, so I I first started going to church when I was a senior in high school and I was 17 years old. Somebody gave me a King James Bible. I was like, thanks, I don't understand this, but cool. I was like, is this Shakespeare or is this Jesus? I'm having a really hard time delineating between the two. 
and, but I wanted to know it. I wanted to learn it. I, you know, I had experienced the love of God, and I wanted to understand more about his character and who he was and, and what it looked like for my life moving forward. And so I needed help. So when I was in college, I was getting a business degree, but I was like, I can take one of my electives will be an Old Testament survey class. So over the course of three months, I'm going to learn as much as I can. I'm going to try to cram as much information about the Old Testament, which was a lot. I mean, it was, that was especially for somebody who had no knowledge base or foundation for it. All of that to say, so over these three months, there was a lady, so you've got, you know, 15 or 20, 18, 19, 20-year-old 20 weirdos that are in this class. We were, and we were, we were just, a, it was a, it was a weird bunch. But there was also a lady in there who was, she was into her 90s, and she did a, she did a survey of the class. She would come and participate in the class. She didn't care about the credit. I don't think a degree was going to do her much good, right? There wasn't much of a point in her in her 90s getting a degree, you know, so, so she was going to get this, this information so that there could be application and transformation. So here's what my point in all that is. One of the cool things that we found out as a result of that was that she had for 70 years each year read the Bible through cover to cover. And I was like, that is incredible. And I wanted to know how. I wanted to know what, what level of discipline did it require? How in the world, with everything that's going, life's busyness and chaos and everything else, I wanted to understand how it was that she did that. And she shared with us that she would read two chapters a day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And on Sunday, she would read four chapters. And by the end of the year, if you started in January, you would be all the way through the book of Revelation by the end of the year. And she rinsed, washed, and repeated for 70 years. It wasn't any big thing. It's not like she started in January and said, I'm going to read it cover to cover, nonstop. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to blink. I'm not going to breathe, right? I'm just going to read this thing. She was like, I'm going to read two chapters today, and I'm going to read two chapters tomorrow, and I'm going to read these small steps, right? And I think there is tremendous value and power in taking these small steps. Zechariah 4.10, it says this, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Now, there's, there's two aspects to that verse that I think are obviously significant. Don't despise the small beginnings. Take these small steps. In spite of what other people tell you, if they tell you it's not big enough, don't listen to them. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what you're called to. You know the path and the process that you're called to. So don't despise those small beginnings. But the second thing is, I love that we get to see God's heart in this, right? So when we don't despise these small beginnings, when we take these steps that are necessary for transformation, it says that the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I, I believe we put a smile on the face of God when we take a step towards him. He rejoices to see the work begin. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. The opposite is true, right? Like if you can't be trusted with little, then you cannot be trusted with much. I am not in any way a proponent of giving to somebody a very nice thing when they can't take care of something that's not very nice. Why would we give you a supercar when you can't even take care of your beater that's so ugly it's got a name? Right? If you can't remember to change the oil in your old car, why, would, why in the world do you deserve to have a new one that you are also not going to take care of because you weren't faithful in little things and therefore you will not be faithful in the small things. So first point, first step there in the acronym acrostic is what needs to change. The second one is this. This is Christian cussing. It's, it's a church cuss word. It's who can hold me accountable? Ugh. 
Who can hold me accountable? We don't like the idea of accountability, or maybe I'm just projecting onto to everyone else. We don't like the idea of accountability because we like the idea of independence and autonomy and freedom. And, and in reality, like it, it, the, the, what's so fascinating about this is accountability actually just helps us to achieve those things faster in reality, right? So the next step in going from information to transformation is to find somebody, somebody find somebody, right? To hold you accountable. Here's how this works. When you, you there, there's obviously you can be very rigid and specific about this. It's like, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I need you to help me do this. I need you to hold me to this. Every Tuesday morning at nine o'clock, you're going to call me or you're going to text me or you're going to FaceTime me. Why you would do that? Again, I don't know. But this is how we're going to do it. And I need you to hold me to it. Or may, maybe a looser expression or form of accountability is you start talking to people about you start talking to people about some change that you would hope to see in your life. And then when they see that the things that you're doing and the things that you said that you hope to see changed in your life don't match up, they can be like, sup? What's going on? Why, why is there this discrepancy between who you said you wanted to be and who you are currently acting like, right? And that's not a bad thing. We are inviting people. We're giving them space to help us become the people that we want to become. They're not the bad guys. They're not, they're not the, the perpetrators here, right? It's not like accountability is not some random person that you don't know that doesn't love you coming up to you and calling you out on something in your life. That's stupid, right? The only person that has the space to do that is somebody, Jesus, or somebody who is really, really close to him because they may go meet him. I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not how accountability works. Accountability is somebody that you love, somebody that loves you, somebody that cares about your future and wants you to be the person that God has called you to be, then coming and helping you out of the thing that you're doing that's not in line with the person you're trying to become. You understand how this works? So when it comes to accountability, you need there, there are layers to this. I, I think you need people in your life that are there to encourage you on the path that it is that you're trying to get. You need cheerleaders. You need herkies and everything. You need all of it. Tumbling, cheerleading, backflips, backhand springs, everybody, like, what about, what about, what about our color shout? Blue, blue, right? You need all of it. You need it. Look, I, I don't know, I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes we need people just to be in our lives to tell us how proud of us they are and how thankful they are that, that we are part of their journey. And man, I, look, I see this change that you're trying to make, and it is so, look, it's you go, boy. I'm so proud that you would have the audacity and the courage to step out to be different, not to be just like everybody else, because everybody else is too busy being like everybody else, that you have the courage to go be the person that God has called. You, look at you. You need cheerleaders. Blue, 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 right? You need that. You also need... That's important. Don't get me wrong. But if all we ever get is cheerleading, we ain't, you got to have more than that, right? That's the dessert. We need, some, we need meat. We need some substance too, right? So, so find people to encourage, but we also need people that will prod us when we're stuck. You ever been stuck and you need people in your life? You know what the expression prodding comes from? Like we kind of use it like a cattle prod. It's a taser, bro. And if you're stuck, sometimes you need people to come... Right, get you on the backside and get you moving, get you unstuck. 
And so that's another layer of this accountability. And then you just need people that love you enough to call you on your crap. Right? Like, you are not doing what you told me that you're, I mean, generally we call them our spouse. Right? But sometimes it can be outside of that. You're not doing what you said you were going to do. You're not becoming the person that you said you were going to become. And that's not what God has in store for you. That's not what you plan for your life, not what you hope for your life. So what are we going to do about that? Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says this, two are better than one. You hear that at weddings a lot, right? Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. This is where we're going to kind of focus in, dial in. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. That's what accountability is. It's like, I understand that you're going to fall down. You, you, it is not your goal. It is not your desire to fall down or to stay down. It is your goal, hopefully, to get back up and to continue. And so I want to help you to do that. If I fall down, the expectation then would be you wouldn't just, I hope you wouldn't just leave me there. Have you ever seen somebody fall? Now, with friends, sometimes it's different. We fall. We laugh. We make sure they're okay. We laugh. And then we help them up. Those are the right kind of friends, right? But ultimately, the plan is we help them up. And that's what accountability is. So find someone who can help hold you accountable. And then the last thing is this. Go do something now. Go do something now. Don't, don't wait till next week. Because you know what's going to happen next week? You're going to forget about what it was that you were going to change the week before. I heard a story one time. It's a pastor's story, so I don't know if it's true. Like, how embarrassing is that? Like, we have to check the veracity of preacher stories. I was hoping you guys would laugh longer so I could get a drink. <laughs> so I heard a story one time about a pastor. Preacher comes into the church, preaches a really good message. Everybody's like, thanks, pastor. It was so good. Everybody leaves, comes back the next week. Preacher gets up, preaches the exact same message. And so everybody's like, that was good, pastor. See you next week. Following week, they come back. They were like, maybe this guy, he's probably losing his mind. I mean, he has to deal with us. He's probably losing his mind, right? Comes back the third week, and he preaches the exact same message. And so finally, somebody had had enough. They went up to the pastor and was like, pastor, I have noticed that you have preached the exact same sermon three weeks in a row. What gives? Three weeks in a row, what gives? And he said, I will continue to preach this message until you go practice what I preached the first week and the second week. And the third week, right? And, and so the idea is like we, we can't just, again, plan to change in the future. We have to plan for change now. The, the expression strike while the iron is hot. I, I want to give you guys just this is a quick embarrassing story about my, my life choices. <laughs> Maybe not so quick. And I'm probably not embarrassed about it either. It is what it is, right? So, so my, my plan, like I always had this plan. I always had this idea of, of being a pastor, which is weird because like I had an idea that I wanted to be a pastor before I was even a Christian. It was just, it was so weird, but it's because, long story, I'll get you, I'll get you, I'll get you, I'll catch you up, right? So I was born, we're going to go faster than that. I, I was very young when, when Mike Tyson's punch out came out. So I was like, okay, I want to be a boxer. Obviously, that's a very solid career choice. Um, I didn't really like getting hit in the nose too much. I was like, nah, maybe not, right? So then fast forward a few years, I started watching a lot of ninja shows. And I was like, that's, that. Clearly, this is my destiny, right? I'm supposed to be a ninja. I even had a grapple hook. We bought it at the Army Surplus store, right? So 
I just, I could never really climb up the rope, but you know, I was going to be a, a good ninja at some point. Uh, that didn't really pan out. So then I, I, I became more mature. Like I got into my teenage years. That's where maturity starts. It starts. It's where it starts. Uh, so I, I started reading a lot of John Grisham books. I love John Grisham books. And, you know, I was seventh, eighth, ninth grade, something like that. So I was like, I want to be a lawyer. That's a great idea. I want to be a lawyer. And, and I actually stuck with that for a long time. Uh, so that was my plan. I was going to become an attorney. And then I was like, well, you can't just, I don't want to just stay there. I want to go, because in your mind, everything has to be a, prog- a process of progress, right? So I want to be an attorney. Well, then I should be a judge. So I can, I, want, I just wanted a gavel, basically. And I've, I've asked for a gavel, gavel for this one. When you guys get out of line. Order in the house, order in the church, scrap the court, order up in here, right? So, so I wanted to be a judge, and then it was like, if you're going to go that far, well, you might as well become a politician. And I was like, I'll just become, a, and this is before, like, it was as frowned upon to be a, a politician, right? <laughs> Inappropriate, but I cannot help myself. You guys know what the definition of politician is, right? Poly means many and ticks. Anyway, it's good. It's a funny joke. It's a funny joke. So anyway, I wanted to be a politician. And then, and then my plan was, so this is all when I'm 16, 17 years old. I'm going to be an attorney. I'm going to be a judge. I'm going to be a politician. And then I want to pastor a small church. I was not even saved. And that was the plan that I had for my life. I had projected out this change that was going to take place in my life decades later. I wanted to live my life and I wanted to do my thing. And, And all of the plans that I have set for myself I wanted to do those things, and I was kind of deferring change until I got through doing those things, and then at that point, I would change. God has a tremendous sense of humor. God, God gets people. He gets their hearts, and, and when it's time to change, it is time to change. Respond to the change. Don't put it off. Don't, don't put it off a day. Do it now. What can you do now? What can you do when you leave this place Small things, doesn't have to be massive, doesn't have to be colossal. What can you do to see change happen in your your life when you leave this place? Don't just be hearers of God's word. Be let's let us let us be doers of God's word also. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for being a God of action. You didn't sit on the sidelines and watch as creation helplessly and hopelessly ran this thing into the ground. You sent your son to the earth to take on the weight, embarrassment, shame of our guilt and our sin. You're a God of action. God, help us to live like that. God, help us to to see the areas in our life that need to change. God, help us to find people that will hold us to the change that you've put on our hearts. And God, help us to go do something now. God, I pray that we would be, each and every one of us as we leave this place, not just hearers of your word, but doers also. God forbid, God help us to not become a place and a people that accumulate information and never see that that translate to action and transformation. 
Jesus, we need you to help us to do this. And we love you so incredibly much. It's in your incredible name we pray. And everybody said, amen.